Welcome to the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Join host Dr. Stefan Dillinger for lively discussions with leading epigenetics researchers. Hear about their past experiments, what they're working on now, and what's coming next. You know their papers, now get to know them and discover the stories behind the science. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Today I'm happy to welcome Katja Kobo from the University Clinics Erlangen on this show. Please let me briefly introduce you to our audience. You got your PhD in 2009 from the Universitätsklinikum in Erlangen. You then moved on to do a postdoc and became assistant professor in 2016 at the Universitätsklinikum Erlangen, and you are still there today. A question I like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is, how did you become interested in biology in the first place and then in pursuing a career in science? Well, um, I wasn't really into science uh, from the very beginning. So I, I'm a very curious person and I like uh, many different things. And actually, I wanted to pursue a different career. I was planning to go into uh, an education program at the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. <laughs> and I was studying languages and, you know, having a completely different focus. And then they closed this program and um, I had to switch um, or change the idea and um, so it was a very spontaneous decision and that I just one evening sat there and thought, okay, I should study biochemistry. And <laughs> this is basically how I got into science. <laughs> That's a very unusual way to go <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to choose a career path. <laughs> yes, but it was uh, not a bad idea. I mean, it was spontaneous, but yeah. um, I, I like to follow my gut feelings. So um, that was a um, really good decision. So coming to a science that centers around the role of DNA methylation in epilepsy, could you maybe give us a little introduction into epilepsy in, uh, in the first place and how you got started now in this field of epilepsy and not in science in general? Okay, so um, epilepsy um, also was not on my list you know, of, of topics, even when I started uh, to study biochemistry. I mean, what you learn is, is usually um, you talk about cancer, you talk maybe about Alzheimer's, uh, if you talk about disease context, but um, nobody talks about epilepsy. And this is really interesting because epilepsy is like uh, one of the most frequent neurological disorders um, worldwide. It's affecting about 1% of the world's population. Um, that is uh, in Europe alone, 6 million people. And um, it's a lifetime condition. So people suffer really their entire life from, from um, disabling seizures. And um, so it's a very um, neglected topic on one side, because it's also associated with a lot of stigma for the patients. Nobody likes to talk about epilepsy. But um, uh, for me as a scientist, it was very interesting. And it was also um, by chance that I moved into the field because after I finished um, my studies of biochemistry, I um, moved to, um, I studied in Leipzig and, and then I moved to Erlangen and uh, started to do the PhD. And um, I was not uh, applying there for, because it was about epilepsy, but, but it was um, um, just, um, yeah, I don't know, I was applying, I guess, for, for different topics. And, and that was just the one that came out because the interesting starting question Uh, my job interview was, well, we have this gene, it's downregulated, we know it's downregulated, and it's important in epilepsy, but we don't know why it's downregulated, what would you do? And I said, well, look into it, DNA methylation. And <laughs> that's how I got the job. Uh, and they said, okay, you can do it. And then I started just studying DNA methylation. And epilepsy. Yeah, that, that uh, leads me to my next question, right? <laughs> so this was then, uh, yeah, you looked into DNA methylation. So what did 
did you how did you uh, approach this question then um well um so the the gene we are talking about is uh relene. um it's a um extracellular matrix protein which is very very important in uh, brain development especially in in building the cortical architecture the hexalaminar architecture so it's it's really about how neurons um, migrate and, and find their place uh, in the cortical plate. And um, so relene is this guidance molecule. Um, and it's downregulated. Um, and there is um, a form of epilepsy. It's like the most frequent uh, epilepsy syndrome in adults. It's called temporal lobe epilepsy. So it's affecting the temporal lobe. This is where the seizures start. It's a focal epilepsy. Um, so you can always say that the seizures start in this particular region. And there we have a structure that's called the hippocampus, which is very important for learning and memory. And um, in this structure, we have like a cell band, the granule cell layer, which is usually a very compact um, uh, cell layer. And in some epilepsy patients, we can see that the cells that are usually very compact um, are not in their place. So they, they are dispersed. They are kind of, um, the, this cell layer is, is uh, uh, wider than it usually is, uh, more uh, cells next to each other. And obviously it's not performing its normal function because of this architectural disturbance and really is um, the molecule involved here. Um, and so um, there had been some, some earlier studies in schizophrenia that already showed that relene could be regulated by DNA methylation. So basically, this is where I picked it off. Also um, did some um, promoter studies uh, and um, some bisulfite sequencing, checking the methylation profile of the relene promoter, found that it's um, highly uh, methylated in um, these epilepsy patients compared to um, controls. So I have to say that I'm working in a neuropathology department and we have um, associated an epilepsy surgery center. So a lot of people that suffer from focal seizures can actually be treated by um, epilepsy surgery. And so we receive this brain tissue and can perform the studies really in human brain tissue from live patients. And um, so uh, we found this um, hypermethylation of the relene promoter in, in these epilepsy patients. And then we looked more into the details because there are some patients that have this dispersion, this architectural disturbance, others don't. And so I compared these groups and I found that really the DNA methylation uh, increase was associated with this particular pathology. And um, um, yeah, then um, I, there was still the question, you know, okay, if the gene uh, is, is uh, not expressed, um, maybe it's just because the cells are gone, uh, but the cells that are secreting the re uh, relene molecule were still there. So um, it was kind of um, not the, the, the perfect um, uh, showcase that the DNA methylation really is the reason for the downregulation, but it was the first evidence and it was the first report ever of DNA methylation change associated uh, with um, epilepsy. So when you did bisulfite sequencing, it was not only looking at this uh, one gene, but uh, did you also look at like the whole genome? Did you see something change, some changes? There? Um, in this particular study, not because um, it was too early. That was uh, 2005. But um, I uh, happened to be at one by chance again, one of the first, uh, I guess, uh, European next generation sequencing co um, conferences. And that was the first time I heard about the methodology. I thought, wow, I want to do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I need to find somebody who does next generation sequencing because we have a small lab. We don't have that. We didn't have a core unit even at that time. So I was looking for a collaborator. And at that meeting, I found um, uh, Sam Aloster. He's a professor at Monash University in uh, Melbourne, and um, he's uh, head of an epigenetics department and uh, NGS core unit, and already was at that time leading a core unit. So um, I um, contacted him, and um, that is like my best collaborator over the last years. And um, we decided to do a next-generation sequencing study in epilepsy, but um, not in human tissue. We started in an animal model. Um, because that was more more easy to have like standardized tissue and so and we yeah. found DNA methylation changes in the entire genome. Yeah, that's the question. <laughs> so um, really, we could show that um, this is uh, not just in effect targeting a single gene and maybe by chance, but we actually can see that there is something like a DNA methylation signature associated with the seizure phenotype. It's really very striking. It's it's like black and white. Um, this uh, brain tissue just by DNA methylation looks completely different um, than the controls. Yeah, that must have been very interesting or very exciting at that uh, time, right? Definitely it was. It was uh, because, you know, um, um, this is not developmental biology uh, and, and this is not cancer, as I said. So we are always a little bit slow <laughs> in research. Um, and uh, things that seem to be obvious to others are, are maybe more difficult to, to, to convey here in, in, uh, in this um, community. But um, I was really excited to see these dramatic changes over the entire genome and, and really um, see that there was, you know, not... It's not about a single gene. Epilepsy is not a single gene disorder, at least not the, the type of epilepsy that I'm studying. Um, so uh, to really see that there are changes affecting the entire genome, hundreds of genes regulated by DNA methylation up and down, um, that was really exciting for me to see. You then obviously follow, followed up on this with a study uh at that time that tested a hypothesis that um, acquired epileptogenesis is accompanied by DNA methylation changes independent of etiology. Um, can you uh, maybe explain what you did there and uh, what the results were? Um, yes, yeah, so uh, the question really was um, uh, how do these methylation changes happen, right? Uh, why so is, it, is it cause or consequence? Exactly. That's one question, but but uh, really also is it, um, yeah, like many said, it's, it, it's just an epiphenomenon, you know, it, it doesn't really have to do something with the disease course. But the interesting thing about the, the epilepsy that I'm studying, this type of focal um, acquired epilepsy, is that you have a very specific disease course. So in many patients, you have a history of um, something that we called an initial precipitating event, so something that kicks off the disease, but not immediately, but something that really takes years, sometimes decades. So you have something that happens maybe early in childhood, like let's say a traumatic brain injury or an inflammatory process because you had a meningitis or something like that. And then um, after that, everything is normal. The patient is clinically normal, so um, not, not having uh, any seizures. But then after 10, 15, 20 years, they start to have seizures. So what happened in that time? Obviously, there is something 
like what we think is, is a big reorganization phenomenon, uh, molecularly, sometimes structurally in the brain, that leads to the development of these epileptic networks. And um, when I saw these, these changes in the DNA methylation, my idea was that maybe that's exactly what the, the um, like one of the effects of this initial precipitating injury, that it kicks off these epigenetic changes which then on a large scale regulate genes, which then allow this network to turn into an epileptic network. Um, so that's kind of the biggest story. And uh, to, to test this, um, the first approach was um, to compare different animal models, because if it was related just to one specific model and what was just, you know, uh, something about this particular model, um, then we would immediately see that. But um, uh, if it was a more common mechanism, then we would find it in all three models. So um, we tested different models that had different uh, precipitating injuries kicking off the epileptogenic process. One was traumatic brain injury, one was an electrical amygdala stimulation, the other one was a chemical induction of a, a very severe seizure, status epilepticus. And then um, this is, um, we, we monitored these uh, animals over uh, three months. And after that time, they all became um, epileptic. So, uh, and then we studied the DNA methylation in um, the hippocampus again. And we found that um, this genome-wide changes in DNA methylation were really um, to be found in all three models. And they always distinguished the epileptic from the control animals. So it was really there. Um, it was a common mechanism. And then, of course, uh, the hope was that if you integrate these three data sets uh, and, and then, you know, uh, do a combined analysis that uh, you would find, I don't know, maybe the one epilepsy gene or the one pathway that would explain to you the epilepsy. And this did not happen. So that was a disappointment for some people. But I personally found this very exciting because it actually shows you that the DNA methylation is not only... Um, a marker of the seizure phenotype, but it also harbors other information like uh, what was the actual cause of the seizure, right? What was the underlying etiology? Obviously, it was uh, three different etiologies that we studied. Obviously, these three different animal models also have a very um, different clinical um, course. So they develop uh, the seizures in a different time frame, and, and the phenotype is different. So it totally makes sense to me that the DNA methylation uh, underlying that um, is also different. And so, um, yeah, this is, uh, I was really excited. And this is how I, I took it then also into, into human studies, because I thought, you know, I started this research to find something about uh, mechanisms of epilepsy, but what we actually also found was something like a diagnostic um, signature. That was really exciting. Yeah, can you say something about the human studies or is this something that is still ongoing or uh, did you publish that already? I published that and uh, um, it, it's nevertheless <laughs> ongoing. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so what we did is um, the next step was to move into um, human surgical tissue, which we have access to, as I said. Um, and... Uh, I have to say that uh, epilepsy diagnosis is, is a very complex 
thing, as you can imagine, the brain with its entire complexity, um, uh, to, to really make a diagnosis of epilepsy. It's not just about saying, okay, the patient has a seizure and, okay, they have uh, epilepsy, but uh, you want to find the reason why they have the epilepsy. So you do EEG recordings to identify the region in the brain where it all starts. You do MRI analysis to maybe find a structural brain lesion that could be linked to these seizures and things like that. That's all done before surgery. And then we get the tissue and have to do a histological diagnosis at the microscope um, and say what the lesion is. And then it's difficult because some lesions look the same, although they are different. Uh, and you really have to know your, your um, matter um, and you, ha you have to have a lot of experience, which is sometimes difficult because uh, uh, training is not the same everywhere in the world and, and technology is not accessible everywhere in the world. And so um, we have this problem that uh, um, diagnosis in everyday clinical practice is, is, is difficult. And so I thought if we could objectify this whole process by providing a molecular um, diagnostic tool, that'd be really uh, amazing. And so uh, we took a group of patients that um, fall into this area of um, difficult to diagnose um, they have a malformation of cortical development. So again, something goes wrong in, in brain development and the architecture is not uh, right. Um, these patients have focal cortical dysplasia. And I studied different subtypes of fo focal cortical dysplasia because it's really um, um, a difficult patient group. And so a good target if we could uh, improve the diagnostic uh, process there. And we performed again this DNA methylation profiling study um, and uh, did our pairwise comparisons. And um, we also took other epilepsy uh, samples uh, from other uh, epilepsy patients who had a different uh, type of pathology just to see, you know, whether the DNA methylation changes that we were expecting to see would be associated only with the seizure phenotype or really also with the different um, histopathologies. And um, yeah, the result was that we could exactly reproduce what we had seen in the animals before. So first of all, to compare epilepsy tissue with um, autopsy and biopsy control tissue um, from people where you know they never had seizures, then you get this black and white uh, difference in, in uh, DNA methylation profile, and you can say, okay, that's the epileptic person um, or the patient with the epilepsy. And then uh, if you look into the histopathologies, you see that there is an association with the different um, pathologies and that it really is diagnostically useful to, um, to, to look into DNA methylation. And um, that uh, is... Uh, only the beginning of the story because, you know, that was a small patient cohort. It was a proof of concept study, but we had to take it from there and really build larger cohorts. Because if you say I did the study in 30 patients, everybody will say, yeah, okay, 30 patients. But, um, you know, in cancer, we have like 10,000 samples or something like that. So um, what I'm building currently is, is um, like this library of um, patients um, where I do the DNA methylation analysis. I, I include more pathologies um, to really see whether um, this, these signatures can be used on a broad spectrum of histopathologies in a broad range of patients and really can help us to, to make um, diagnosing more, more simple. 
Yeah, I have two questions to that. Uh, can this also be used as a prognostic marker? So it's not only so, um, yeah, that if you didn't have like a, a seizure yet, um, am I in danger of having one? Am I in this uh, epileptic spectrum? That's, that's a very good question. That's exactly where we want to move. I mean, the problem at this uh, stage is, um, or not problem, it's actually uh, wonderful that we have access to brain tissue, right? We have access to real brain tissue. We don't have to look into animal ones. We have the human brain tissue. We can study it. It's very exciting. But what you see is the end stage of a disease, right? These people go to surgery after they've had epilepsy for 20, 30, 40 years sometimes. Um, and so what I see is the molecular change really at the end of the disease. And to make any conclusions about how it started, where it started, is not possible. Um, diagnostic markers or prognostic markers like you uh, envision them and, and how I'm also dreaming of them are something that we need to find in the blood, obviously, and in peripheral tissue, um, which um, is exactly the next step that we're uh, uh, going or doing. Um, uh, so, so we are trying to, to now compare matched brain and blood samples from the same patient to first of all, see whether the signatures in the brain can be also identified in the blood. And then people say, yeah, why would you expect changes of DNA methylation in the blood? And I say, well, I, there are many ways how I can envision it. It's like uh, whether you think about microvesicles uh, uh, carrying information into the bloodstream or whether you think about, okay, there is a disruption of, of the blood-brain barrier and epilepsy. And so blood cells also and, and uh, inflammatory cells, you know, they, they, they move in and out of the tissue. So um, basically... I think there is a connection how the brain can talk to the blood and that um, you could see these, these signatures also. But that needs to be tested. Um, I'm working on, on, on that one. And, and then, um, obviously, uh, to make a prediction into the disease course, you would have to have samples from different stages of the disease, which brings us back to animal models, because that's the only way how I could uh, access um, this latency period where, where seizures have not yet occurred and then make a prediction uh, forward. But this is definitely uh, the, the most important step that we're now taking. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I found a, a paper from you that was published last week. Uh, we are recording this in November uh, 2021. Uh, <laughs> and there you looked at the genesis of epilepsy in a cell culture model. Is this also already the, the first step into this direction or... Um, it's, it's not the first step. It's actually, it's it's a follow-up study um, um, because uh, we had this question before. I didn't answer it. Um, the question about the chicken and the egg, right, was always there. People were asking me, yeah, but when when did the methylation start? And did it really start before the seizures occurred and things like that? So we said, okay, how, we, how can we study this? Um, and then also, I mean, the brain is complex. We have this huge heterogeneity of uh, uh, cells. Um, and, and currently all the analysis that we did in tissue was, was bulk tissue, right? So we didn't do single cell studies yet. There's still something to perform also. Um, so the idea was let's create a model that is uh, kind of removing some of the barriers, right? Let's have a cell culture model that is primarily uh, neuronal. So we have like 95% of the cells are neuronal. So you could at least say, okay, this is not a signature of real cells, but it's a signature of neurons. Um, then also we need something that 
uh, recapitulates this disease course from initial precipitating injury over latency period to spontaneous recurrent seizures in a very short time frame. Even animal studies take months and years, and uh, that's just too long. So we need something that moves faster. And so we developed the cell culture model, um, which are, uh, as I said, primary neuronal cultures from uh, Bradford campus, which we stimulate with uh, glutamate, which is the major excitatory uh, neurotransmitter. Um, so we stimulated something like one single severe seizure in this cell culture. Then we monitor the cell culture and we see that after a few days of silence, the cells start to synchronize. They start to spike and they start to talk to each other and then they synchronize the network. So that we have synchronized spikes and then they start to develop these uh, epileptiform activities, um, in, meaning that they produce something like a seizure. And then you have this epilepsy in a dish model. Um, and so um, that basically uh, here, the disease course is, is covered in, in something like two to three weeks. Um, so it's it's perfect to, to really make uh, these uh, temporal studies about when which epigenetic changes occur. And uh, in our first study, um, we looked into um, candidate genes um, that, that have been linked to epilepsy, so glutamate uh, receptors or, or their subunits. And we really um, looked into every second day, basically, seeing the molecular signatures of histone acetylation, histone methylation, DNA methylation, things like that, and how that correlates um, to the gene expression changes that we see in these genes. And there we can see that after the initial precipitating injury, you have an immediate response on a gene expression level. So the gene goes um, is silenced somehow by, let's say, transcription factors maybe. Um, but what you also see is that within hours, uh, minutes and hours, you, you have changes in, in histone modifications, histone acetylation is, is lost, and you have um, temporal increases in, in different types of histone methylation, and then at some point the DNA methylation occurs. And all this happens before the first seizure start in this model. So that was really my uh, proof that uh, epigenetics is helping to drive this epileptogenic process and is really regulating these genes and creating a system that allows to have seizures. Did you also look at the factors that could be involved? I mean, if histone methylation is, is, in, in, uh, in, in, is uh, included, if uh, histone acetylation is involved, um, there, might, might, or there must be enzymes that do that right exactly. <laughs> and then also chromatin remodelers uh, did you also look at that or is this uh, planned for the future um no i i didn't check that uh, in the context of, of the histone modifications of course uh, uh, in our studies of dna methylation we also looked into the expression of uh, dna methyltransferases uh, and um, found uh, um, that there is an increase, and others found that too, that there's an increase in DNMT3A and uh, 3B expression, um, which could explain um, accumulation of, of uh, new um, of de novo DNA methylation um, in this uh, disease context. But then also we have a lot of uh, sites in the genome where DNA methylation is lost. So it's it's not just about increase of DNA methylation, it's really a complex thing. And what I see in this uh, cell culture model was, was just 
for me also fascinating to see that you have something like a real um, program that controls gene expression by this interaction of different epigenetic layers. And really um, everybody has a specific function at a specific time. And this is how they, yeah, how these epigenetic uh, uh, layers work together. So what are you working on right now? Is it, uh, I mean, only <laughs> the, the uh, yeah, working on the blood uh, field to, to find biomarkers or if the biomarkers can be found in the blood or what is are your plans for, let's say, the next five years? You just told me that you, <laughs> that you have to turn into grant applications today. So there is a lot of things that are on your mind probably for the future. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of things uh, on my mind. They are not all related to epigenetics. Um, How so, uh, <laughs> well, um, see, the, um, I will always do epigenetic research in epilepsy, definitely, because I mean, uh, when I started, there were like five people doing epigenetic research. Uh, it was really uh, an interesting time and, and a, a lot of pioneering work that we did. What we are currently doing is something. Um, that uh, uh, is very similar to, to something that has been published in, in cancer a couple of years ago, 2018. Um, because uh, to explain it, because I'm working in the clinic, um, I, I need to think of uh, not just, you know, doing mechanistic studies and, and deciphering the uh, uh, epigenetic processes in epilepsy in, in, in maximum detail. But what we need is also, always something that is also clinically relevant, really, that has an application in the clinic. And this um, diagnostic tool, uh, developing a diagnostic tool for, for neuropathology that helps uh, diagnose epilepsy, this is really uh, the, the most important thing that I'm currently working on. It has been shown uh, for brain tumors that this is possible. So there was this publication by... by um, Heidelberg group uh, uh, showing that you can distinguish over 80 different brain tumor types um, just by DNA methylation. And they developed a tool that is accessible for everybody. So if you have performed DNA methylation at your core unit somewhere um, and, and you have the data, but you don't know what to do with it, you can just upload it there. And uh, basically they will map your methylation profile of the tumor that you are studying to uh, their tumor classifier and help you um, um, develop a diagnosis. And of course, this doesn't mean that in the end, you don't need a neuropathologist looking into the microscope and that everything will be done by uh, molecular classification, but it's um, a supportive tool for people with less experience to have a decision in the end uh, with more confidence. And um, this is something that I'm currently working on. Um, The blood story, of course, the um, then single cell studies, I mean, that's that's still to be done. We have this wonderful tissue available, right? And we need to do something with it. So uh, really looking into uh, single cell DNA methylation and, and, and gene expression and other studies, whatever is possible. Um, that's um, the future. And um, what I'm personally very interested in is also, um, there is an epilepsy type, a genetic epilepsy, uh, that is due to a mutation in an epigenetic enzyme. It's a CHD2, so it's a chromatin remodeler. And now, you know, how can you explain that the mutation in a chromatin remodeler causes a severe epilepsy, childhood epilepsy, 
Um, nobody can answer this question at the moment. And although I'm not the one who had has done this uh, uh, genetic studies, and, and, and this is not the, the focus of my research, looking into genetic generalized epilepsy, but understanding how chromatin uh, um, conformation and, and, and structure in 3D can affect the genome in such a way that it produces this very specific um, uh, seizure phenotype, that's, that's something that I would love to, to look into. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. <laughs> uh, to finish off this interview, I have two more general questions. Uh, the first one, did you at one point of your career face the situation that you have reached a dead end or did not know how to proceed to unravel the questions you wanted to answer? Um, yes, I think <laughs> <laughs> I would be surprised if somebody says no at this stage. I think um, science is just, you know, it's uh, it's about endurance. Um most of the time. So um, there are a lot of downs and there are a lot of um, dead ends, not mainly because, you know, uh, there's nothing to look into, but it, it's just the circumstance. It's um, lack of money, lack of time, lack of manpower, lack of something. And of course, I've been confronted with that. Um, I uh, moved into a, a, let's say, tiny institution Uh, before I had worked in some uh, in a Max Planck Institute, um, and there I was just spoiled with with infrastructure. But uh, when you move into a different uh, uh, area, and if you move into academia, uh, may not be perfect all of the time. But uh, nevertheless, I found an interesting topic and a supportive environment. So this is why I stayed and said. Um, I will ignore these limitations and and still uh, keep on doing um, what what I'm fascinated. In the last 35 minutes, we have taken a journey through your scientific career. Um, can you maybe give a short summary about your most important findings or something that we might have missed in this interview? Well, the most important finding, I think, is uh, the take-home message is that um, in epilepsy, we have a very specific molecular signature um, that defines the disease state and not only the seizure phenotype, but also the underlying etiology. And I think uh, all the research that I've done so far has convinced me um, that epigenetics um, is not just about, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's not just, we didn't talk about the uh, fact of, of um, uh, uh, transmission from, you know, usually epigenetics is something heritable, this, uh, some people use it in their definition of epigenetics, but here we are talking about the um, adult brain, we are talking about postmitotic neurons, um, so there's nothing about transmission from mother to daughter cells, but here I think epigenetics really has some a function that I would call a molecular diary function, you know, anything that a cell experiences is somehow um, written in this book of epigenetics. And if we read it properly, we can actually understand the journey that the brain has taken. Um, and this is something that I also would like to explore more and, and really um, um, see the details that are written there. Yeah, I think that's a very good uh, uh, time to end this interview and a good statement. Uh, thank you, Katja, for your time and for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the mentioned references in the show notes. 
please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at activemotif.com, and we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog at activemotif.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned.